You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back with another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Allstriker of Ravens Wire. And we are back here on this Tuesday, this Taco Tuesday. And it's a very special Tuesday because, one, we have Spencer Schultz back with us today. And two, it's a playoff discussion here with Spencer. We're going to talk about the Ravens and their game against the Bengals in Week 17. We're going to talk about the upcoming matchup with the Titans and more. So let's jump right into this with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore beats him. Spencer, the Ravens, they did what they were supposed to do. They won and thus they are in the playoffs. How are you doing today? Doing well. It was a lovely thing to see over the past month. The Ravens had their terrible situation with COVID that rounded out a three-game losing streak. You get swept by the Steelers despite a valiant effort from their, you know, their quadruple A team. And the Ravens from there had to put the pedal to the metal and do what they had to do and take care of business. Luckily, the back end of the schedule was quite favorable. And allowed them to kind of get right. And, of course, Lamar Jackson, you know, has been so decisive as of late. He has taken off. He has uh, delivered countless big plays and some pretty hefty throws down the field that have gotten this offense going. It looks like the spacing and timing of the pass game has been improved. And on offense, the Ravens are relying on a lot more misdirection, a lot more counter, uh, getting their offensive line to the second level and sealing off linebackers, creating conflict for linebackers. They don't really have anyone that mauls off the line of scrimmage, but they've got some guys that are mobile and can pull and move and make some difficult double teams and blocks and things. So uh, the the concepts like the counter bash where Lamar Jackson threatens the ball behind two pullers and the running back has nobody and threatens the perimeter. That's been really the staple of getting this run going. And it's been pretty uh, undefendable at this point. So the Ravens ran behind that have averaged, I mean, almost 300 yards a game rushing over the past four games and ran their way into the playoffs. They have made it for the third straight season, and you have to be impressed as a Ravens fan and pleased to see a team with their back against the wall that doesn't have an outcome like the Miami Dolphins did or the Las Vegas Raiders did or uh, the Browns unable to beat the Ravens when it mattered and uh, you know, ha- having the Steelers take them to the brink and, and being a two-point conversion away, which... Kind of looked like a defensive pass interference to me, or an offense, uh, defensive pass interference to me, but the refs didn't call that one. And, uh, you know, the Ravens handled business. They took care of business solidly, winning every game by two scores or more, and found them find themselves in the playoffs now. Yeah, absolutely. The Ravens rattled off those five straight wins to get into the big dance. But in week 17 for the Ravens, they did beat the Bengals 38 to 3. They secure the five seed with the Miami Dolphins losing and falling to 10 and 6. So now Baltimore will go and face the Tennessee Titans in Tennessee. But Spencer, getting into this Ravens Week 17 game where the Ravens, I mean, this this was just a dismantling again, 38 to 3. On the offensive side of the ball, I think we have to start with Lamar Jackson. He completed 10 of 18 passes for 113 yards, three touchdowns and one interception through the air. And then he also ran 11 times for 97 yards. He broke a couple records in this one, became the first quarterback in NFL history to have back-to-back 1,000 rushing yard seasons, the fastest quarterback to 30 wins in NFL history. Just Another phenomenal day for Lamar Jackson. So, Spencer, I want to get your opinion here on what you saw from Lamar Jackson in Week 17. Well, you saw the a Bengals pass rush that it felt like their plan was to try and let Lamar Jackson run into containment. They weren't really pinning their ears back and hunting after him. Uh, they wanted to try and get him to move and then attack him once he had already moved. 
but he just bought time, chilled in the pocket, and made a couple big throws early on to make them pay. And then uh, he held the ball so long at times because they were playing so passively that he was able to fight off a couple spies in certain situations after, a, I believe, an illegal formation or a false start on Orlando Brown, something of the sort early on. Ravens find themselves in a first and 15, and the Bengals have a spy on Lamar, and Lamar just outweighed the spy. He waited so long and gave a little shoulder roll, and the spy ends up fighting with a blocker, and then Lamar just takes off and coasts for a big gain. It was also a play that early on looked like it was a— some sort of play action pass, but it actually, you know, all three receivers ran down the field and blocked. It was like a power pass pro quarterback draw almost. And Gus Edwards gets out ahead. Like you see Mark Andrews run 15 yards down the field and start blocking, never turning around for the ball or anything. Uh, so some interesting concepts using Lamar's legs has been a major reason behind the Ravens resurgence and playoff push. And against the Bengals, he did what he had to do on the ground. Uh, the threat of his legs froze defenders quite a bit. And it ended up with a couple big throws early on. The most impressive play of the day for Lamar for me was the uh, Miles Boykin touchdown where the Bengals are playing a lot of, they played a lot of too high, a lot of quarters in coverage. And the Ravens kind of got thwarted on their first possession, trying to pass the ball in second and 10 against a quarters defense and weren't able to really hit the middle of the field. And uh, it was an incompletion of Miles Boykin. So the Ravens come back on their next possession. Lamar kind of doesn't throw the best pass. Hollywood doesn't make the best adjustment. And, uh, you see a deep incompletion when Hollywood was open and then they get a couple first downs, dial it back up once they're on the 43 and you see the Ravens bring Pat Ricard in motion from the slot, which so often means it's a run play. You see the Bengals have to then shift out of there too high. The one of the safeties rolled down to try and fill in the run game. And uh, then they wanted to mug Mark Andrews. A lot of teams like to take Mark Andrews away. If you recall the last time these two teams faced off the Bengals, Jesse Bates, their star free safety said, uh, yeah, you know, we want to key on 89 and 15, take those guys out of the game. That's where they want to throw the ball. They really only throw the ball there. And so that's what happens. They form a little combo coverage, make a triangle around Mark Andrews with the two safeties and a linebacker. And you see Miles Boykin in one-on-one, -on -one, beautifully threatened vertically, threatened to the sideline a little bit. And as soon as the cornerback opened up towards the sideline, he planted his outside foot with his toe angled inside, took off, created a really smooth but hard-angled upfield and I mean, the guy's six foot three, runs a four four, has mighty good quickness, agility, all that stuff. And you saw it on display there. Creates a perfect window for Lamar Jackson. And uh, the Ravens had a nice little mesh fake where it looked like it was an option of sorts in the backfield. And then Lamar kind of had a reverse pivot out of it and took a three step drop and then fired. And the timing of the play was the most beautiful part. The exact moment that Lamar finally hit his hitch of his three step drop, he took one hitch step and fired the ball dead pin straight down the field to Miles Boykin, who was uh, just crossing the end zone. And the timing of it, the spacing of it, the way they attacked the Bengals' coverage really just kind of shows how this offense has advanced, the confidence that guys are playing with, like Miles Boykin, like Devin DuVernay getting back involved in the, the jet sweep game. And uh, this offensive line bought time. They're using Pat Ricard in a lot of different ways, where they use him as a decoy and then a blocker more so than just a battering ram at all times. So this offense was able to create a couple big plays, back the Bengals up some, and then the ground game kind of really took over in the second half where the bevy of different plays that the Ravens offense was using was just so impressive. So it was a, a massive offensive game for the Ravens. Yeah, Lamar Jackson is just playing lights out right now, and he's showing time and time again, especially throughout the last five weeks of the 2020 season, that he is 
both the threat with his arm and with his legs, something I think a lot of people who follow the Ravens already knew. But he is throwing dimes. He is throwing accurate footballs. And he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he is certainly improving week to week. But Spencer, kind of diving into the Ravens' rushing performance against the Bengals, the Ravens rushed for over 400 yards against the Bengals in this game. And arguably, it could have been a lot more if players like Lamar Jackson or J.K. Dobbins weren't taken out with some time left in this one. Lamar Jackson, his last snap was with just under four minutes to go in the third quarter. So, Spencer, the Ravens are led in the rushing department by J.K. Dobbins with 13 carries for 160 yards and two touchdowns. Lamar Jackson, 11 carries for 97 yards. Gus Edwards, 12 for 60. Mark Ingram, 9 for 39. And then a few others had some carries as well. Just how impressive over these last five weeks has this Ravens run offense been to you? And what did you see in Cincinnati that really caught your eye? It has been mightily impressive. They don't have an offensive lineman right now that is particularly just absolutely dominating in one-on-one blocks that is able to just move guys off the ball. But they come at you with so many different angles. They pull different guys. We saw Tristan Colon Castillo pull out front a couple times and uh, have some interesting blocks. They have done a great job creating conflict at the second level and preventing linebackers from just hunting downhill. Uh, you did see Josh Bynes with a couple of nice run fills in this game, but the the conflict that is created with the veer and the counter bash and the running backs really threatening the perimeter as well as the decisiveness when they do kind of dial up some of those zone looks, those zone run schemes and have Gus Edwards come downhill. Like a, I like to compare him to a shark at this point. He just has a mindless killer attitude when he hits the hole. There's no hesitation. He knows where he's supposed to go. He's a big, wide man, but he makes himself skinny, puts his head down, gains yards, and uh, you know, mixing J.K. Dobbins' explosiveness in and his ability to, to stack second-level linebackers and get them to miss in the wrong hole and do things like that. We saw that on his early touchdown run where he kind of let vertically stacks uh, Josh Bynes, actually, in the A-gap and, and keeps nice and square. And as soon as Josh Bynes goes to fill the A-gap, he just jumps outside, takes it into the end zone. And the patience, the burst, the acceleration, uh, the ability to break tackles from J.K. Dobbins, just an all-around phenomenal ball carrier. Uh, the amount of explosive runs that he's had this season is outstanding. One of the most, uh, he has the highest percentage of runs of anyone with 40 carries that have gone over 15 yards. And we finally got to see him take one to the house. It kind of felt like he always had too many guys to beat. He has to, you know, break a tackle and then make a cut and then make another cut before he can finally just hit the jets. But finally on a zone run in the fourth quarter, he, uh, you know, Mark Ingram really detailed it. And that's the best part about Mark Ingram, a guy who, Scored 15 touchdowns last year, had, you know, almost 1,500 yards was a huge part of this offense and clearly lost some burst and has J.K. Dobbins come in. But you see him say how Dobbins, you know, stayed patient, kept his shoulder square, uh, followed the play and then turned on the acceleration right when he was supposed to. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. He is putting out clinic like tape as a running back, running between the tackles, running to the perimeter. Uh, showing patience, showing burst, showing everything that you want to see out of a guy that was highly lauded out of Ohio State. And this running game's multiplicity, I think putting in Ben Powers and getting Matt Skura out of the equation uh, at, at the same time has helped out a lot. They're rotating DJ Fluker, Fluker and Tyree Phillips at right tackle. And uh, Fluker has definitely played a lot better than he was early on. You could say the same about Phillips. Those two kind of keep a nice rotation going where it feels like defenses can't really get a beat on how to consistently beat one of them because they're, they are rotating. Uh, I'm not in the Ravens offensive line meetings or in Greg Roman's mind, but it's a pretty unique situation to continue to rotate for over a month between those two guys. 
And, uh, you know, having Pat McCarry in there was nice. Tristan Colon Castillo had a great performance and they're just attacking second level linebackers, all these different option looks that they're using, threatening the perimeter, using Lamar Jackson's burst and acceleration to beat angles. And there's just so much going on. It's so hard to defend and no one's defending it. They finish as the top rushing team for the second year in a row. Uh, one of only, they're the, the only team to ever run for 3000 yards as a franchise in two separate seasons, they do that back to back and they end up averaging more yards per carry this season than they did last season just by a hair. And this running game is back. It feels like they've leaned into it and they understand how to make it go. And they've evolved using more of those counter bashes. And it has been a thing of beauty to watch. And uh, it was nice. You know, Lamar Jackson, I think we might've overlooked early in the year. He had that knee injury, that sore knee. And that's all we ever really heard about it. We don't know too much. They obviously didn't want to make a big deal of it, but they weren't using his legs a ton. He, he wasn't a, a massive threat as a runner. He wasn't scrambling a ton. They were really, he, it felt like he was really trying to force it in the pocket and force a little bit too much. And uh, they've embraced what he is. And that is a world-class athlete that can process as a passer, as a runner at a really high level and make throws all over the field. He is taking the low-hanging fruit. He's hitting easy throws. The spacing feels better in the passing game and helps the offense overall, especially when you're running the ball like that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, a big part of that, Spencer, as you mentioned, is the offensive line. And I know we talked earlier in the year when the offensive line was still trying to put it together and still struggling to an extent. The fact that, you know, it doesn't matter how good a running back is or how good a running game is. If there is somebody in the backfield as Lamar Jackson hands the football off to somebody waiting to tackle a Gus Edwards, you're not going to go anywhere. The offensive line has figured it out over recent weeks. You mentioned the rotation between a couple guys. The Ravens, in their offensive line from the first week of the regular season, only have one guy in there who was still playing the position they started at in week one, and that is Bradley Bozeman. Orlando Brown Jr. has now moved over to the left side. So only him and Bozeman are the two who are still on the Ravens' offensive line from week one. So it's been a phenomenal transformation. The Ravens certainly have a ton of talented runners in the running offense. Baltimore's rushing offense is what is going to take them far in the postseason. But we're going to head into our first break now, and when we return, we'll flip the field and talk about how the Ravens' defense held the Bengals' offense to just three points. So stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. The NFL regular season is finished and the playoff picture is set. There's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And we return here with our second segment of this Taco Tuesday edition of Locked on Ravens. Your host, Kevin Ostriker, still here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. And Spencer, this was just a dominant defensive performance by Baltimore in Week 17 here, holding the Bengals to just three points. The Bengals only scored six points all season in the two matchups between the Ravens and the Bengals. But Spencer, starting off with the Ravens, I, I want to go with their pass rush first because the Bengals, their offensive line, I think, is widely considered as one of the worst units in the entire NFL. Jonah Williams, one of their stud tackles, a big first-round pick for them a couple years ago, ended up being out of this game. And so the Bengals, you would expect Baltimore's pass rush to maybe get a few sacks on Brandon Allen, when in fact they actually had zero. Now, Yanni Kingakwe was not in on this game. He was injured and out with a thigh injury. But Spencer, when you look at the Ravens' pass rush, even over the past couple of years, it has been very, I'll say, inconsistent just because of the nature of 
the Ravens blitzing a ton when they get into rushing four, rushing five. Sometimes they don't have the ability to generate pressure. So, Spencer, in week 17 here against the Bengals, what did you see out of the Ravens pass rush? And what can you attribute to them not getting Brandon Allen down on the ground once for a sack? Well, number one, they didn't have a ton of opportunity to because the only guy who had over 12 pass rushes was Calais Campbell with 17. Uh, The Bengals last week against the Texans were able to get a nice quick passing game going with some underneath rub concepts and uh, some short yardage things. Brandon Allen's a little bit of a mobile guy. He's not a, a crazy mobile quarterback, but he can move. And they tried to move him out of the pocket a little bit. He, he bought himself some time. But, you know, the Brandon Allen only threw the ball, I believe, 18 times. And you end up seeing, uh, you know, eight pressures. So guys were getting to the quarterback a little bit. He just got the ball out quickly. And, you know, Pernell McPhee had a huge hit of him that almost resulted in a Matt Judon interception because he uh, kind of got hit as he threw the ball. But the Ravens kind of just wanted to lean back, it felt like, make sure nothing got over top, especially early on. You end up seeing, uh, you know, a T. Higgins rub route that doesn't go, you know, it, it ended up getting called back. It was offensive pass interference, but you got beat deep a little bit. You, you had a, an angle let up. So it felt like they wanted to lay back in coverage a little bit more and, and force Brandon Allen to uh, beat them over top a little bit or, or make some difficult throws. And uh, they just got the ball out quickly. And that's a, the one of the most important things people always forget when you don't see a great pass rush performance. Well, you want to go look and, and look at the snaps and say, well, how quickly are the Bengals getting the ball out? And uh, It was relatively quick. And when you can uh, are able to roll a guy out, they're not blitzing a ton. And the Ravens are a little bit worried about, you know, getting beat over top, living up, letting up the big plays. Uh, you want to make a quarterback like Brandon Allen pick you apart underneath, and they were happy to do so. Uh, I don't think there was any you know, huge fault of the Ravens' pass rush. There wasn't any huge success on the Bengals' side. There just wasn't a ton of opportunity, and the Bengals just didn't have the football. I mean, they didn't have the ball. Uh, they, they generated 60 yards in the first half. They barely touched the ball in the first quarter, barely touched the ball in the second quarter, and by the time they end up getting the ball, it's it's with anything substantial, it's you know 24 to 3 Ravens. And from that point forward, you kind of just want to sit back, make Brandon Allen pick you apart. And the Bengals weren't even willing to do so. They kept kind of running the ball a little bit, and they do reel off one successful run. But the pass rush as a whole was fine. Uh, They generated some pressure. I believe uh, Tyus Bowser had three pressures, wasn't able to get all the way home, but a couple quarterback hits and things of the sort. So I didn't see anything that that made it seem like, oh, well, the, the Bengals are just wrapping them up, and there's no stunts here, nothing like that. It felt like it was more so the Ravens just wanting to sit back and make the Bengals beat them underneath and Get Brandon Allen to get the ball out. Yeah, and that's where having an offense that just goes down the field and scores while the opposing offense struggles early, it can put opposing offenses in binds to make an offense one-dimensional, to have an offense get a ball out really quickly to make sure they can try to get something on offense, and it becomes difficult for that opposing offense to generate anything, especially, as you mentioned, Spencer, the Ravens held the ball for over 40 minutes in this game. So that, of course, in itself makes it a bit difficult for the Bengals to get anything going on any part of their offense. But, Spencer, looking at the Ravens' defense, another aspect of the Ravens' defense, I think I have to look to the secondary because I think the secondary, they had a phenomenal game in this one. I think highlighted, actually, by Anthony Averett, someone who was really coming on strong, went down with an injury earlier this season, comes back, was kind of still finding his bearings for a couple of weeks, but now he had a phenomenal game in Week 17. Marcus Peters and Chuck Clark both have interceptions. The Ravens don't really let anything get past them. You mentioned it. They played deep. They weren't really letting the Bengals get anything over top of them. How did you feel like the secondary performed in this one, even without Jimmy Smith? Well, we saw maybe Chuck Clark's best performance of the year. He had a couple great coverage reps, ends up flying in late and having his only interception of the year. 
but he had a couple nice reps, two pass breakups, and uh, really is just playing sound football, tight coverage, and sometimes he kind of gets some tough assignments against tight ends and bigger bodies, and he's not able to get the ball away from them in some contested catch situations, but he's really turned it on as of late. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Anthony Averett. He has been amazing the last couple of weeks. It feels like he's taking really, really sharp, good angles on in-breaking routes. Uh, He has a couple pass breakups as well. He almost undercut one and got an interception, but he just couldn't quite get it into his hands all the way. Uh, He has been super physical at the point of attack. uh, He or at the catch point rather and making plays on the ball, man, it's coming downhill. It's being confident, trusting your technique and trusting the guys behind you to, to be able to save you. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Titans try to attack some double moves. That's how they beat the Ravens this year earlier. A lot of in-breakers that ended up breaking back outside. Corey Davis was able to take advantage of Marcus Peters a few times, and A.J. Brown is just a beast. But in this one, the Bengals wanted to get the ball out quickly. They didn't want that Ravens pass rush to get home. They don't trust that offensive line, and Brandon Allen is not a mightily experienced quarterback in this team, and they don't have anything to play for at that point. So they were just trying to get the ball out quickly, and you saw a couple really nice plays underneath as well. Marlon Humphrey in man coverage. Uh, The Bengals ran a pick on him, and he just ran right through it, right downhill, forced a really flat throw that was incomplete. And if it was a throw that was on time, he might have taken it to the house. And then you mentioned Marcus Peters, who uh, nearly got beat deep by A.J. Green once, and Brandon Allen kind of threw it inside, a little bit underthrown, and definitely wants that one back. But then the Bengals worked down into the red zone. Uh, Marcus Peters gets a pass interference that seemed a little questionable, and CBS for some reason chose not to show any replays in this game or any good angles to see anything. I'm not sure what the deal was there, but uh, don't get a replay of it. Marcus Peters is begging the ref saying my face mask was getting pulled, tugging on his face mask, signaling like that. And then the next play he undercuts and is able to use that pterodactyl like crazy wingspan that he has and uh, just hook under a ball. And it looked like the jump man logo, like juice man. And he uh, snags an interception. So saw plays from different guys in this one. And it was, it was interesting to watch and, and fun to watch Anthony Averett really for me. A guy who, like you mentioned, Kevin, was playing really well before his unfortunate collarbone injury and comes back a little tentative in his first game back, but has hit the ground running. And uh, he's kind of playing like Marlon Humphrey in coverage a little bit, really aggressive, sharp angles and man coverage, able to play through the catch point, knock some balls out. So uh, a little bit of Bama chemistry going on in that secondary. And hopefully Jimmy Smith is able to come back now. And you've got uh, Averett as a really solid number four corner that can come in and rotate in a little bit and make some plays. And uh, you're going to want to, re- of course, rely on Marlon Humphrey to make plays, but the DBs overall had a pretty nice day and made it tough on that quick passing game. The secondary has been a unit that has just been decimated by injuries. Marlon Humphrey has really been the only beacon of consistency in terms of staying on the field, and even he missed the game earlier in the season because of being on the coronavirus list. So now that the Ravens are slowly starting to become healthy, Jimmy Smith hopefully will be back for the Ravens' playoff game I think it's just, again, the Ravens built this team to be very stingy in the secondary, and we're now starting to see with the Ravens getting healthy, it's definitely going to be a key stretch here in the playoffs for Baltimore secondary to prove that they have a ton of playmakers because they've certainly proved it throughout the course of the regular season. We're going to head into our final break here, and when we return, we'll be talking a bit about the Ravens' upcoming wildcard matchup with the Tennessee Titans, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be back soon. 
With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need into a traditional chain storefront, wired off from pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, and wait while the counterman orders the parts in his computer, choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there how'd you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com and we return with our final segment of this locked on ravens tuesday edition episode kevin ostraker is still talking with spencer schultz of baltimore beatdown and spencer the ravens their playoff matchup is set they are going to tennessee to face the tennessee titans in what hopefully for Baltimore will be a revenge game for the last two meetings between these two teams. So what I want to do with you here, Spencer, is ask you a bit about each matchup. So we'll first start with the divisional round last season and then move into this season's matchup and just talk about what went wrong, how the Ravens can kind of get away from what went wrong in the game and how they can right the ship there. So starting off with the Ravens 28-12 to divisional loss to the Tennessee Titans. This was a game that most expected the Ravens to win, but the Tennessee Titans came into MT bank stadium and shocked the world ryan Tannehill only attempted 14 passes in this one completed seven of them for 88 yards and two scores while derrick henry ran rampant on this ravens defense 30 carries for 195 yards while we saw lamar jackson throw 59 passes in this game so spencer when you look back to that painful loss what do you think went wrong and how can the ravens right that ship going into sunday well there was a little bit of bad luck you know, first off, the the early interception that gets returned pretty far. And then Lamar Jackson adds a 15-yard penalty, trying to go in and make it in the tackle and getting a face mask, putting the Titans into the red zone. Uh, ball tips up off of Mark Andrews' hands on a crossing route where he was decently open. Ball floats up in the air, gets picked. Uh, a little bit of a miss from Lamar Jackson, and it ends up turning into an interception, of course. And it goes back the other way and uh, puts the Titans in prime position. Then... It was, you know, more turnovers and whether that was turnovers on downs where the Ravens weren't able to quarterback sneak or uh, they weren't able to, to really dial up and, and hit anything on the outside or, or get Lamar Jackson in space or, or really lean into Gus Edwards, who for my money right now and over the last couple of years is the best power back in football. And that means short yarded situation, third and two or fourth and two or shorter. He is a first down machine. If you hand Gus Edwards the ball two times and need to get two yards, he will get them. And the Ravens chose to, to kind of do some funky things with some corner, quarterback sneaks and different plays, and they just didn't go the right way. Lamar Jackson didn't look comfortable sneaking the ball. He kind of ran around like a caged fox in the backfield. Oh, I'm going to go this gap. No, I'm going to go this gap. And couldn't find any gap. Couldn't just drive forward and get it. So uh, you, you compound that with bad decision from Lamar Jackson later in the game, uh, throwing a telegraphing an out route that Kenny Vaccaro had leverage on, able to pick that as well as a fumble where Jackson just was hesitating to throw the ball. Single clutches, double clutches, triple clutches in the pocket. You know, the pass rush got there by that time. And you want to see him be more decisive. So in that game, you know, it was, it was compounded. They gave the ball away essentially five times on turnovers and downs and uh, against a team that didn't commit turnovers, that didn't throw the ball, that took calculated risks. And the Ravens, you know, turned the ball over on downs. Two plays later, Ryan Tannehill hits a 50-yard bomb to Khalif Raymond, who splits the safety, who jumped the play action, and Marlon Humphrey, who had outside leverage. And that was just the, the way that game went. The Titans also had beautiful red zone play calling. They have a Henry Pop pass. Uh, they were able to get Jonu Smith on a crazy catch over Brandon Carr that 
you know, was a, a centimeter away from not being a catch. He got his butt cheek down and uh, were able to do some funky things in the red zone. They dial up a, an option run for Ryan Tannehill that the Ravens didn't see coming. And uh, Tannehill is able to take one in as well. So it was uh, it was a tough matchup. And ultimately, the Ravens didn't get any penetration from their defensive front when they needed it. Uh, they, they wore out and the Ravens defense had Derrick Henry break off a 60 yard run. Uh, another big run. And the, if you take those two out, I hate to say that because everybody always says that, but if you take those two out, you know, Henry's got 20 something carries for like hundred yards. He didn't do a ton of damage, but, uh, he was consistently able to run for four or five yards on first down and, uh, keep the chains moving. And then has those two long runs and the Ravens just offense couldn't score in the red zone. They couldn't get it done. They didn't have, uh, Mark Ingram, their lead back, the back that they trusted in the passing game. They clearly didn't trust Gus Edwards in a passing role. And Ingram's out there limping, fully not, de- definitely not his full self, and it uh, snowballed. Everything just snowballed, and and things didn't go the right way, didn't bounce the right way. And you start off with that opening drive interception, where of course the ball does just get tipped up enough for Kevin Byard to come down with it and flip the field. And uh, Titans just executed in the red zone. The Ravens couldn't get those crucial downs. They uh, weren't able to move Titans off the ball. Jarrell Casey and Jeffrey Simmons really blew up. Uh, Pat McCarry and Bradley Bozeman and even Marshall Yonda in that game. Ronnie Stanley didn't have a great game. So feels like the Ravens kind of ended up mentioning how they overlooked things and overlooked the Titans as an opponent. They're looking forward to playing the Chiefs for redemption. And you had to deal with the task at hand. And the you know Titans felt a little bit fluky. They didn't have a high scoring game against the Patriots the week before. But Ryan Tannehill made all the throws he had to and had a couple precision throws and, and were able to hurt the Ravens on that big play action. And then the Ravens kind of panicked without a lead with uh, playing in a hole. They, you know, you go back though throughout that game and people say, you know, they abandoned the run, but there were only uh, maybe four calls that could have been a run call throughout that entire game. Uh, the script, the, the script essentially played out and they needed to throw the ball and they weren't prepared for that. They thought they were going to be able to attack with the option and uh, run downhill and, and play off of that in the passing game, but that wasn't the case. So that it definitely was out coached, out schemed. And uh, out-executed, especially in the red zone by the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, definitely, Spencer. And then moving ahead to the Ravens' 30-24 to overtime loss in this season, the 2020 season. The Ravens, again, the story of this game for them, I think, was the red zone. The Ravens went 1-4 for four in the red zone. They went up big in the third quarter and then just could not close out the game. The game ends up going to overtime. Derrick Henry in overtime. You know, you tackle Derrick Henry for 60 minutes. You don't want to tackle him for an extra overtime period. So the Ravens just pretty much blew this game. The offense couldn't score points. The defense started giving up chunk plays and chunk yards. So finally here, Spencer, the Ravens in this loss, 30 to 24, it certainly was a winnable game. It's arguable that the Ravens should have won the game, but they just didn't. So what went wrong in this one and how did they write the ship from this 2020 loss? Well, the 2020 loss was a story of not being able to defend play action passes. Ryan Tannehill was able to make some plays with his legs backside as well. And I really find this Titans offense incredibly similar to the Browns offense. The Ravens, you know, see a couple DBs go down and aren't able to compete. And hopefully that's not the case when the Ravens travel to Nashville. But uh, earlier in this season, the Ravens played a lot of single high, a lot of cover three. And the Titans were able to get Marcus Peters jumping on inbreakers. And then Corey Davis, a couple of times, just breaks back outside and did so smoothly. And Marcus Peters wasn't able to reset. And uh, they had some chunk plays. 
and the play action passes really hurt the Ravens. AJ Brown gets a first uh, first play of the game, 50 yard pass interference against Marlon Humphrey, where he got flat out beat and had to go hold AJ Brown, or else it might have been a house call. And the Ravens need to play a little bit more, you know, press man, a little bit more uh, single or too high, and and rotate coverage, roll coverage, and things like that. And of course, you know, you're worried about Derrick Henry. Ran for 2,000 yards. You know, uh, in that game, he didn't really kill the Ravens at any point uh, until the very end. Throughout the first four quarters, he was held to a pretty modest total. He uh, didn't have any really killer runs. He might have had one at the very end of the game, but uh, they they held him in check pretty well. They contained Derrick Henry pretty well. Deshaun Elliott came up and sent him out of the game, and uh, it, it was difficult. But then they start working those boots, and Ryan Tannehill is a really good athlete and, and can throw on the run with great precision, and he can hurt you with his legs. And at a couple key moments, he was able to do that. And it's similar structure to what the Browns do. It's a ton of zone blocking. It's a power run game behind it uh, and and a big run game with tight ends that can block and a competent offensive line. And then Tannehill comes in with the boot and you're not getting pressure on him. You're not able to, to get a good angle on him and he can outrun your pass rush a little bit. So containing Tannehill is a major, major and, and forcing Tannehill to stay in the pocket for, and he is deadly accurate from the pocket. It's not like he can't beat you from the pocket, but when he breaks it, when you're not respecting those boots, when you're letting guys like AJ Brown and Corey Davis make plays down the field, uh, it, it kills you. It absolutely kills you. And I, I think that the Ravens can't afford to let up big plays in the passing game. And it's easier said than done because Corey Davis and AJ Brown are absolute studs. They're fluid. They're athletes and go up and get the ball. They can outrun you. They can out physically with the catch point. Uh, AJ Brown has incredible tracking skills. He can f- see the ball in so late and, and never gets his concentration broken. Uh, but ultimately you need to make sure that you're not getting beat by those boots. It feels like the Ravens didn't have Brandon Williams or Calais Campbell in that game. Uh, that earlier matchup and that gets a little bit forgotten, but you basically bring in Clay's Campbell and Derek Wolf to defend a team from the Titan, like the Titans from, from running the ball all over you and consistently getting first downs in the running game and, and opening up the passing game. And then you don't have your, your two best run stoppers. Uh, you do have Derek Wolf. Derek Wolf played really well in that Titans game. Aside from the last play, he just kind of was exhausted and Henry ran right through him and he couldn't make a tackle in the overtime, but they're kind of in field goal position already. And uh, it, it was a tough game, that last game. You get into overtime, and you have an offensive penalty that was suspect. Uh, we didn't really see a replay of that one. Puts you behind the eight ball, and then you get conservative, and Titans are able to manufacture a drive. And, and Arthur Smith, their offensive coordinator, has a very basic structure, that zone-blocking, bootleg, play-action passing structure. But in the red zone, he finds wrinkles. He'll do a, a reverse to his tight end, or he'll uh, do some interesting things with – got different guys leaking out of the backfield or offensive linemen going out on routes or uh, all kinds of different looks and angles for Derrick Henry and, and running read options with Ryan Tannehill down there when you haven't really seen it all game and things like that. Uh, so in this one, have to stay disciplined, have to protect that backside, can't let Tannehill beat you with his legs, and you got to straight up just win up front. You need to have Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf, Justin Mataboyke, Judon, Bowser. You need to have those guys have the game of their lives to shed blocks, to stand up tall, prevent Derrick Henry from getting going. And that's what everybody likes to say. And people think of Derrick Henry as this, you know, bruising power running back. I think Gus Edwards is a much harder runner between the tackles, you know, in, in tough situations. Derrick Henry is the most lethal when he gets a, a head of steam and he able, is able to take good angles. He is way faster than you expect at his size. And then it's one-on-one with DBs and he does eat them alive. He is a power back in that sense, but he has more finesse to his game than people realize and is able to get to that sideline 
wait patiently, take good angles, and then hit the Jets. And that's when you know guys can't bring him down in the open field. So uh, that not letting him get going and defending the play-action pass is a, it's a pretty impossible task, it feels like, and that's why the Titans score a lot of points. It definitely is. The Ravens do have to stay disciplined. The missed tackles cannot happen. You, you really also, you mentioned, can't give up anything big or else the Titans can just beat you in too many ways. You have to look out for too many things, and then the Titans will just take advantage. So Baltimore's defense is going to have to step up in a big way on Sunday. But, Spencer, thank you so much for coming on the show here. That's all that I have for you today. Hopefully when we get back here next week, the Ravens will have gotten their revenge on the Titans for their previous two games. We'll be talking about a potential divisional round matchup. Hopefully the Ravens are due for it for sure. They uh, won't take this one lightly. That is to say the least, they might be getting healthy at the right time. And if they've got a, a full healthy defense ready to go, that could be what is needed to execute and keep guys fresh against that Titans game. And uh, they really just need, you know, maybe one ball to bounce their way and that can change a playoff game. So hopefully we are talking about a Ravens win next week. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Spencer. When we get back here tomorrow, we'll be answering your questions, comments, concerns, and more with Cole Jackson of Russell Street Report. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you tomorrow.